0: Hello, this is episode 238 and in it, I'm continuing my conversation with Jane Hilliard and Jane is the founding director and head designer at Tasmanian-based design studio Designful. Now, this is part two of my interview with Jane. So if you haven't listened to part one, pause this episode, head back to episode 237. You can find that by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 237 or episode 237, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Make sure you check it out because this episode will make a lot more sense if you've listened to that one first. Now, in this episode, I continue talking with Jane and we actually start by discussing how she helps clients stay on track with their initial design and lifestyle goals. We also discuss the the specific design strategies that Designful use to keep their homes compact, yet spacious and super functional and feeling fantastic. And we talk about their accessible pre-designed floor plans that are actually available through their business Homeful. It's called Homeful by Designful. So I'm really excited to be able to share that information with you too. Now, Jane has some amazing and super actionable information to share in this episode. So I'm really looking forward to bringing this conversation. To you. Now, if you'd like to grab a full transcript of this episode, plus the links, the information and the resources that we discuss, you can do that by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 238. That's the numbers 238. Now let's dive in. I begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia, and I recognise the continuing connection to lands, waters, skies, and communities. I pay my respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to Elders both past and present. If we haven't met before, I'm Amelia Lee. Based in Northern New South Wales, Australia, I'm a wife, mum and architect and I've worked in the architectural industry for over 27 years now. Having worked on over 250 projects, mainly residential family homes, as well as significantly renovating three homes of my own with my hubby whilst our three kids were babies, toddlers and even older, I have a personal and professional understanding of the joy, challenges, stresses and excitement of making your family home a reality. In mid-2014 I started Undercover Architect and it's an online business to help and teach homeowners like you how to get it right when designing, building and renovating your family home. Undercover Architect is all about giving you access to the industry knowledge and insights you need to avoid the mistakes and dramas that can cost you thousands. Tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's about levelling the playing field so that the world of renovating and building doesn't seem so mysterious and you can be the active driver in your project, navigating it with know-how and confidence. Undercover Architect helps and teaches homeowners through this podcast, the website and our online courses and programs, including my flagship program, Home Method. I truly believe that when you know the questions to ask, the steps to take and the best way to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in, you can enjoy the process of building and renovating, as well as the home that you move into at the end of this ambitious journey. Consider Undercover Architect your secret ally, whoever you're working with and whatever your location, your budget or your dreams. Grab access to my free online workshop, Your Project Plan, and learn super helpful information to save time, money and stress in your reno or new build. You can find it at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. That's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. Now, let's get on to the episode. So, just how do you create your ideal home? Well, my belief is that your ideal home is one that supports you living the life that you'd like to lead, both in and beyond your home. Your ideal home is one that provides you with a place to relax and to restore, and that is your haven and your sanctuary. It makes your life more convenient, more fun, more streamlined and organized, and you more calm and more peaceful. And by doing that, it ultimately enables you to go out into the world as the best version of yourself each and every day. Now, did you note that I didn't say the ideal home? I said, how do you create your ideal home? And did you notice that I didn't talk about rooms or spaces or a real estate checklist? I talked about feelings and functionality and what that then facilitates for your life and your family's life as well. So what's your vision of your ideal home? Is it based on feeling and function about who it helps you to be? Or is it about rooms and a list of spaces and the things that it'll accommodate and it'll contain? Or perhaps it's a combination of both of those things. Now. Have you thought about your ideal lifestyle with the same level of investigation as you've thought about your ideal home? Do you have a vision for your ideal lifestyle and a vision for how your ideal home will actually help you lead it on all levels, uh, for for mentally, physically, emotionally, financially, spiritually? Have a think about that whilst I actually remind you about Jane Hilliard and we jump into part two of my conversation with her because I think having those thoughts swimming about in your head is going to be really useful as you think as you listen to this conversation. Now, Jane is the founding director and head designer at Tasmanian-based design studio Designful and Jane has a Bachelor of Environmental Design and she's a registered building designer. James, Jane's aim is to create change and to lessen our impact on the planet through the built environment. And you can imagine that's a challenging task. Jane actually strives to make good design available to more people whilst practicing enoughness, which we heard about in the last episode. Enoughness is about understanding what you need to live a healthy, happy and reciprocal life with those around you and our environment and not taking or using more than this. Her endeavors and passion for sustainability integration, user well-being, affordable housing and buildability have created the foundations of what Designful provides. Now Jane's favorite quote is make it simple but significant. She does not agree with complicating things for the purpose of design interest or just because you can, and she appreciates refined and considered ideas that benefit more than one party. In life and in business, she is looking for win-win-win-win outcomes. So Wins for Designful, wins for their clients, wins for the society, and wins for the environment. It's a great one, isn't it? Win, 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 win. We've all heard win, win. We've all heard win, 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 win. (laughs) But I've not heard win, 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 win before. Now, when not at Designful and the Homeful Helm, Jane actually appreciates a simple life, investing in her home and her family and those that they share it with, being outside, appreciating nature and also trail running. And I'll quote this from Designful's website. Herein lies the designful difference. We take the time to get to know our clients, their families, and their values in order to design homes that support healthy, down-to-earth, and mindful lifestyles. We design differently in order to reduce mortgages and environmental impact and nurture connections with family, friends, nature, and community. Be willing to reconsider your vision of your ideal house and what you think you need, because in reality, some of it will come at the cost of your ideal lifestyle. I'm going to say that again, all right, that quote from from Designful's website. Be willing to reconsider your vision of your ideal house and what you think you need because in reality, some of it will come at the cost of your ideal lifestyle. And this is what we can often overlook when we're designing our future family home. We can get so caught up in the dream vision of this future building, this representation of hopes, ambitions, aspirations, planning, saving and scraping together that we can lose sight of the potential impact that it might have on our ability to actually live our ideal lifestyle. And look, for some, they're willing to stretch themselves financially, work a bit longer, take on a bit of extra debt because this is the project that they're doing and it's the way that they want it to be. And I am not here to judge. I'm never here to judge, okay? This is always about you figuring out what suits you in your journey of creating your future home. What I'd actually love you to encourage, uh, love to encourage you to embrace here though, as you listen to this conversation that I have with Jane, is that you can actually embrace that there are other options. There are ways to navigate your project journey and not fall into the trap of it snowballing into a bigger undertaking, a more stressful and expensive financial stretch, or something that actually doesn't feel meaningful to you personally. My conversation with Jane, it continues on from the last episode and part one, and I kick off by actually asking Jane how she helps clients stay on track to those initial values or those expressed desires to create enoughness for themselves, especially when things start sneaking in or getting at it along the way. This is a really familiar scenario for many homeowners and designers, and I think it's going to be really useful for you to hear how she keeps people on track. Now, as a reminder, you can download a free PDF transcript of this episode and links to all the resources that we mentioned by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 238. That's the numbers 238. Do you find, because, you know, most of your homes that you design are under under 180 square metres in size, do you find that as you're working with homeowners, you're having to remind them or, you know, almost... Um, uh, I joke often that I'm really good at saying no to clients because I'm a mum. So they, I'm constantly saying, I'll say to them, no, you said you didn't want that. Oh, yeah, that's right, Amelia. Okay. So <laughs> do you find that you're saying, no, you said you didn't need the fourth bedroom or no, you said you didn't want the second living space? Or is it, is it much more, I mean, you you come across as a very gentle person who's, say, who's doing all the work of getting the values ex- extricated at the beginning. Do you find that homeowners find it tricky to stay,
1: you know, to stay compact or oh yeah of course you know this is a all these all these things creep in and that pressure of you know i could we could have that want that off that is felt by everyone and I, i'm not i'm not afraid to tell people what i think um that has come at you know developed <laughs> over time um so i will say to clients when they sneak in the uh, study guest room, I will say, look, let's acknowledge that that's outside the initial brief. That's going to add space. That's going to add cost. Um, let's go back to your values. Is that contributing to your values? If it directly is, then, of course, do it, you know. But I think I think our job as um, designers, architects, is to provide our clients with the options or the information, good informed information, uh, good options, um, good things to ponder, good questions, so that they can make the right decision for them. Okay? With on the guest room kind of thing, you know, that can be a conversation or the guest wing. um, How much is that going to cost, right? Say it's, uh, it could be anywhere between 50 and 300 grand, right? Look, this is a straightforward, this is a very straightforward question is, do you actually want people staying in your house with you? Do you enjoy <laughs> living with other people that aren't your family? Look, I think that's a really valid question because some people go, actually, no, I don't. You know, they, they want to come stay with us and I love it and I love spending time with them. But after we've spent some time together, I'd actually prefer just to go home to my own house by myself where I have my own routine and my own space and recharge. And I think we all have to be a little bit more willing to to. acknowledge that and then if you think about how much that guest wing was going to cost well that's a lot of airbnb nights isn't it um that's a lot that's a lot of um (laughs) ways that you could there's a lot of resources and things that you could actually be putting into spending quality time with those people that you do want to spend time with. So it depends. Some people have, um, I know relatives family that are coming from overseas to be with them and spend time with them and and they go, yes, I really want to spend and have as much time with them. And that's great. And then it's, and then it might be really contributing to the values and what they're wanting to get out of the house. But yeah, direct questions, just, you know, um, Ask them, I think. Be willing to ask them to yourself or be willing to ask someone you're working with, what do you think? Because I think people come to professionals because they want to know what they know. Um, So I think, um, yeah, really use that. And, And someone else, even if they're not a designer or an architect, just bouncing ideas, asking questions of another person that hasn't got any other invested interest in what you're doing. Uh, is it your friend that knows you can be a great sounding board for just bashing out ideas and l- getting another perspective. That's another great a great thing.
0: Mm. That's great advice. Now, with your designs, I notice that there is there's this lovely pared back simplicity. Your your design work is very intentional, and you look at the spaces and the homes that you create, whether it's a renovation or a new home. There's, there's an incredible intentionality every you know whilst whilst they a lot of people might go oh, gosh they're very compact in size compared to what I was planning on doing when you look at them they're spacious they're light filled it feels like there's um, there's opportunity to for them to be very relaxing restorative places for the people that live in them and for anybody that comes and visits them and I noticed that there's a few design devices that you use that I'm curious whether they're things that you uh, try to include as a, a matter of course to add more functionality or add that perception of space uh, and um, and usefulness to a home. Things like there's there's the window seats, which can of add a whole other sort of seating zone into a, into a space quite incidentally. You've got approaches in, you know, that you share on your website. There's some really fantastic little graphics that you use where you've got uh, these ideas of humble and honest, connectedness, affordability, simple yet significant, you know, very um, consistent themes that run through and you can actually see explored in different ways through your work. So how does this actually, you know, these kinds of things, these ideas and then this, this intentionality and these creation or specific design devices, how do they start to come into your work? And to, to do that thing of really up-leveling that that compact floor plan to, to really improve its functionality and that sense of experience in the home.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I think you said it. I think keeping it simple is a fundamental thing. You know, if you think about all the houses and buildings that have been designed and built, pretty much everything's been already done. So there is... Unless that is the ultimate brief, you don't need to reinvent the wheel, okay? But you can still use simple, uh, available, accessible uh, uh, ways of designing to achieve what someone, and it be customized to someone to to get what they need. Um, So keeping it simple is something that we always do. Um, If you can use materials, that are readily available and accessible in the area, you know, you've got a head start. Um, In terms of getting more out of a space, um, I think it's really about actually considering and and actually considering how it's going to be used. How is this person going to furnish it? Are they wanting to use any of their existing furniture in this space? Consider that. Um, Considering where what you're looking at outside the window I think these are all really quite simple things I don't think I'm re- really doing anything that's that um, complex to be honest um, window seats for some reason they tend to they don't take up a lot of space but they can be a really lovely space to be in because you're very close to the outside because generally there's a window and they can almost feel like a little nook within a space but you're also connected to the house so Something that find, especially with kids, um, they want to be where you are. You know, they they will be like literally everything happens on the kitchen table in a lot of houses.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: you know, in our house, it's like one end is activities and stuff and then we've got this bit to eat on. Um, so you just have to actually be honest about how you live as well. If you've got kids, they um i don't know a lot of our clients they're not going to go and do things in their bedroom they're not going to go into a study they're not actually going to go into a tv room they want to be around you but if you can design that space where everyone has a moment in that space to do the things they want and they're not all falling over each other um, that can really make the most of a space um, something that's like studies studies and study nooks i think they need to be often considered in more detail um, a lot of the clients i talk to i i I ask, okay, so you work from home sometime. Cool. Where do you do that? Oh, at the kitchen table. I'm like, cool. Yep, why? Oh, you know, I, get to, I look out the window. It's nice. There's a nice light in there. And well, why, well then why would you put a study nook under the stair, you know? I don't think it's going to really get used. It's a great idea. So it could be a great use of space. But the reality is that if you're spending time thinking about something or you're, you know, you're doing some work, you're probably going to gravitate to a space that feels good to do that in. And if that is in a part of the living space of the house, then create a little place in that 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 function can be carried out and also consider, well, how much space does that actually need? Um, Yeah, so those kind of things, it's actually – and I do this. (laughs) It might be a bit weird. I'm not sure. Um, When I'm designing something, I actually – take a moment to imagine that I'm this person walking through their house, okay, where am I going to put my bag? What am I going to do next? Where am I going to want to go to? What am I going to be drawn to? Where am I going to drink my morning coffee? Um, you know, I have dogs. Where do they? Where? where in the property are they kept? Um, so I think it's about the experience. I guess homes and buildings are kind of meaningless without the moments and memories that are made in them, you know, So if you consider them as a vessel for living uh moments, memories, then you don't have to be you don't actually have to try too hard in my opinion. Sometimes you get super lucky and you have an amazing location. We're really lucky like that in Tasmania. So put a window kind of think about where you put the window and you're immediately, you know, looking outside. Not everyone gets that opportunity, um I understand, but um just having good light good views through the home so if it's a smaller space you you add to that space by seeing something that's beyond the space is um yeah they're just pretty simple kind of things
0: <laughs> moments and memories jane that is uh that's worth bottling that one it's just i uh, thank you for taking i mean i know that you say that's simple and and i and as an architect myself i and that mental rehearsal that you talk about that's something i've always done with home design i know that for me uh, when I was working one-to-one with clients, I knew I hadn't nailed the design unless I could mentally walk around it in my head and visualize all the spaces and the views from the spaces. And it surprises me that that's not what designers should normally do. And, you know, but it's, I know from now my work with lots of other designers, that's not how they design. So but I feel like that's what I teach homeowners to do, like to actually try and mentally rehearse. How do you get up in the morning and walk down to the kitchen? You know, how do you leave of the day? How do you arrive home of the day? Where do you want to, you know, if you're trying to track down a kid, where are you going to yell to and those kinds of things? How are you going to look out into the garden? All of those all of those things that are the, the mechanics of our everyday life that your home is supposed to support you. Uh, having a convenient experience of that's comfortable and fun and enjoyable and enables you to just basically be who you are at home and go out into the world as the best version of yourself every day. To me, I think it comes through in your work so much, and you can see that it's a testament to the fact that you are you're getting to know your clients so well through that discussion about values at the beginning that then enables you to almost sort of put yourself in their shoes and walk through their home and and then bring your skill and your team skill as a designer to really lift that experience of their home for them and anticipate what their future needs are going to be so it's um i think it's just tremendous and i love that i love that it's your approach because to me it's 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 taking it I think we make things far too complex sometimes. And for me, I find that design starts with simplicity. We move it through, I always find we move it through complexity and then back to simplicity. But unfortunately, a lot of people just stay stuck in complexity and they don't bring it back full circle. And so, you know, that pairing back is so important. So um, now I I, want to make sure that I talk about Homeful because you also have this business that is providing, and I'm going to read this accessible pre-designed small home solutions and so these pre-designed homes they range from 55 square meter studio through to 120 square meter three-bedroom home yep that's right three-bedroom home that's 120 square meters and the floor plan of it is beautiful and a spacious home so you know it is possible for you to have a three-bedroom home that's 120 square meters I'd love if you could talk a little bit about uh, Homeful and why you started it and how you work with clients in this way, whether you work with clients beyond Tasmania, you know, how that all sort of works and how people can access the the designs that you do through Homeful. Sure.
1: So Homeful is really just an extension of that concept of making good design available to more people. So the idea there is to um, provide a uh, design options that are, accessible in terms of cost basically so obviously if we're homeful is a lower cost in terms of fees takes less time there is less decisions to make for the client um, which then make is making it more accessible to more people i guess you know custom design architecture and things is is something that um, it is it, kind of uh, not everyone can afford it basically right um so that's the idea it's feeling it trying to fill in that gap between this higher-end custom design architecture, uh, other cookie-cutter options. There's kind of a missing middle bit there, so that's what we're trying to do. So by putting all the things that we have already tried, like to use in design, think of good things, by putting that into our pre-designed options, you're getting kind of this whole uh, backlog of knowledge of um, design that Kind of works and is good, um, so that's why it, it's um, that's why I'm done it. And um, size wise, so it's really pushing the boundaries on thinking about how you can use space. Um, they are obviously customisable. There's uh, bits within it that you can move around, but the structure, uh, the structural component of the design stays as is because as i said before it's about what happens inside the home that's actually the thing that you as a client or a person experience it's not really the building itself i know that could be hard to understand but it kind of is like that um so they're super simple and um yeah 120 square meters for a three-bedroom house um look i i read look this is something that um my team and i have just pondered for a long time and it's kind of like this experiment of how much room does one person need right is, is that something that you can is there data on that is that something you can measure is that something that you can do an experiment on so I've read a few things over the years and what we've kind of come to is if you're living a sharing space with another person or other people you can actually achieve everything you need in 30 square meters per person <laughs> right so you think, oh, wow, that is tiny. But when you think about 30 square metres per person and all the overlapping space that happens in there, if it's a family of uh, four, which is a fairly kind of median family size, that's 140 square metres, right? Home. When, and everyone within there has 30 square metres, but you're sharing and using it, the same space altogether, okay? Okay a lot of time got put into them about um, well, one of them is how can we design a house if it's just got one bathroom that's something that is a big talking point in most designs bathrooms toilets and things like that and how many there are so we I kind of I kind of say as a challenge well can we do design this house as with one bathroom so um so think about a lot about well, why why do people want more than one bathroom and it's because um there's you know there might be a bit of a there's that kind of bottleneck in the morning uh you don't have to wait right so well think let's think about that um something that in the designs is we've deconstructed the bathrooms there's only one bathroom there's one of everything but the toilet shower and vanity basin are in separate spaces so all of those things can be used at the one time at the same time but there's only one of everything so uh that, that definitely frees up space. It's functional. That's probably all you need. What's wrong with waiting for a little bit of time while someone's losing the toilet? I don't personally have an issue with that. I think it's good for us. Not You don't have to have everything immediately. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so the, yes, um, it's just about making good design available to more people. And um, so what happens is the, the floor plans are on the website, so you can have a look at them and kind of have an idea of what would work for you. But we obviously do help every client work out what's best for their site and for their situation. You can customise them somewhat to meet your needs. Um, they can be staged. You can add two together. You can do one one bedroom now, and then in the future, if you're going to have kids, you could add on to that in the future. So they can be staged, or they can be used to add on to an existing house to give more flexibility or more functionality.
0: Yeah, they're fantastic. I'll, I'll make sure that the link goes into the resources for this episode because I really encourage people to check them out. Just to see, it is that thing of pairing back to what we truly need. And, you know, like you, I've done a lot of research into how much space do we actually need. And I remember there was an article that I read that um, that studied through red dots. It placed where a family was in a, in a house over a period of 24 hours. And over 40% of the, it was over 40% of the movement was literally between the kitchen, the toilet and the living space, you know, in this 24 hour (sighs) period. And then there was a whole nother chunk that was in their bedrooms sleeping. And then there was very little red dots, but in any of the other spaces, yeah. even though there were all these other spaces in the house. And so it was quite, it was really interesting to say. And so, you know, for me, I'm always telling homeowners, make sure that you invest your budget where it's going to have the most meaning for you, where it's going to matter yeah. the most, where it's going to deliver on the most functionality in your lifestyle. So I love that all of your designs feed into that, that idea. So now I just wanted to quickly touch on, cause I know that there's homeowners and I'm not sure if you, this is something that you've grappled with in the work that you've done with clients. Some homeowners who really want to do a smaller footprint, they'll say that their bank valuation won't stack. I've had homeowners say to me that they've had to add on the extra bedroom. Pay. It's been cheaper to pay for the extra bedroom to access the bigger finance that they needed because the valuation was just coming in too low for the smaller home. And also that they've struggled to find builders that are interested in doing smaller footprint homes. Is this something that you've had to contend with at all or you know, how do you sort of see or speak or to homeowners about dealing with this?
1: yes i it is a challenge for some people Um, it hasn't look it hasn't been something that's been really prevalent in what we do uh but yeah i know that that's an issue um and i think it's actually really disappointing i think that it's a sign (laughs) that the system is really not working right um, so it's, it's basically this whole the whole system with the, the banks and lending money. It's it's kind of forcing people to build bigger houses and spend more money, which I very much think is terrible. The reality is that if you if you've owned a home for the last five to two years, we have to acknowledge that all our house values have gone up. You know, we're all increased; they've all gone up in value, which. Um, you know, gives more leverage around in, uh, extending or improving them, which I think might help a bit in terms of um, lending money from the bank. Um, I guess what I feel about that is I know that it's an issue. I don't have an answer for it, sorry. Um, but what I do think is that we all can send a message to the system, right, that this is something that has to change. And I really do think it has to change because if we think about the younger generation coming through needing places to live, we already all know that there's a housing crisis and that houses are unaffordable for this next generation. But what if there were more smaller, more affordable houses out there for them to access? Um, and, what, and this current model and this current system is not helping that at all, you know, be forcing to bigger and better and whatever. Um, so I think one answer I have or one solution or something that we can try is sending that message so that there's pressure put on the, the big system um, to say that this is something that people need and, we need and we want it. So what I have enjoyed immensely is um, having these conversations with people that play a part in this and asking the questions, you know, it's, but, but why? What if, you know, I think we need to be kind of asking those questions more instead of just going, oh, I can't I can't do this because the bank won't give me any money. It's still, I think, very much worthwhile going through the process of having the conversation with the person. Each time that happens adds another little um, brick into the wall. It's a very housey kind of analogy <laughs> of... Um, seeing some change so I think there needs to be systematic change in all of that I think that's a really fundamental requirement in order to move forward from the place we're in at the moment which is really high levels of debt which is impacting on everyone on people's well-being it's impacting on society younger generations just deciding I'm never going to own, own a home um, yeah so pressure on that I think is a good thing I don't think that I don't have an answer for it at the moment then with finding a builder to do a smaller job, um, that's where the time factor comes in. This is where I think we have to be learn to be a bit patient and where we have to learn that as a client or as a homeowner, we actually do have to put in some time and some work to achieve our goals as well. I don't think we can expect to hand the whole thing over to someone else or a professional to do for us. I think you need to take the time to seek out people that are willing to work within your realm of what you're wanting it's going to take some time especially at the moment when we know that there's so much work and there's material um delays and things like that Um, it just i think that there's a time factor there and you need to be willing to have more conversations with places that you might not have those conversations otherwise Um, you know, like don't, if you're wanting to build a new, a little, a small home, don't talk to someone that you know and say, oh, who was your builder if they built a huge home? It's not going to be applicable. You need to go and find your people. (laughs) And you might not find the answer with the first conversation you have, but that might lead you to the next person that does have an answer for you or does have a lead for you. So that's the time thing. You know, we can't expect it all to happen now. can't expect in three months it might It just might take longer you might have to we might have to wait a bit but it's kind of like do you want it done quick or do you want it done well do you want it um done that's aligned with your values or do you want to just have what you can get have so i kind of feel that builder thing yes i really understand that it's a struggle and it's a struggle for some of our clients but if you can take the pressure off if you can be a little bit patient and have more conversations in places that you wouldn't usually have them, then you will be more likely to find someone that's on your page that wants to work with you. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's a great response, and I think um, I often tell homeowners you might need to kiss a few frogs before you find the people that you're going to work with um, because it does it does take time. But it, I think that mm. when you're going to be aligning yourself with these people for twelve months or longer. You want it. You want to get to know them well, and you want to know that you've got the right people on your team, making you know, helping you make this happen. So, and people do they race far too quickly without getting to know their builder and their designer into these decisions. Um, and yet, uh, when you do take the time and particularly bring that builder in early into the process, it does definitely make a big mm. a big difference. So, mm. and I love I love your insights into the questioning of the finance. I think that that you're you're very you know, it's so true that we just accept that 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 uh, we can't question it and instead having those conversations, I had um, Amy Beatty from Good Green Home Loans who's a mortgage broker that only works with banks that don't support fossil fuel um, industry and awesome. um, finances, uh, banks that have much more sustainable um, financing models and, you know, somebody like that, you know, you can start having conversations with, with banks whose values are more aligned with your values and, and it's amazing what you can actually achieve. So little by little, I think we can definitely start chipping away at the status quo. Um, and it is, it's that, you know, as you and I were saying before we jumped on this, that grassroots movement of just questioning, we can be doing something better. Let's look at what that actually, that is. So now just before um, just before we wrap up, cause I'm aware I've taken up a lot of your time. I just wanted to ask you, because I noticed that you carbon offset every project that you do and you have it on your website. This is a really fantastic idea, I think, for design um, and building practices. And I wanted to see how you actually go about working this out for your projects. And is it something that the client pays for or do you pay for it? Do you go halves? And how do you sort of work through that whole process of carbon offsetting? Um, I know that you actually, uh, you donate directly to the Tasmanian Land Conservancy. Um, so you've obviously made a decision to align your business values with their, with their um, values. How how do you factor this into the working with clients in their projects?
1: Yeah, sure. So first of all, I think you have to be careful about using the language of carbon offsetting. What we do is not a formal carbon offset. It's an indirect contribution to offsetting carbon. Uh, it's subtle but important. So the other thing is what we chose to do was, you know, planting trees is really great, but I think protecting intact native biodiversity is even better. So that's why we've chosen to align ourselves with ourselves with um, TLC. We also um, we also indirectly offset or donate to Groundswell, which is also an amazing organisation, which are doing great things in the whole um, climate area. Um, so the way we work that out is we did a bunch of research and um, about what is the uh, carbon footprint of your average home. What is the carbon footprint of our our average home that we're designing, considering the materials and the size. Um, it's, not, it's not an exact science. If you were going to make it exact, it would be a whole nother full-time job, basically. <laughs> but we've done the best we can and the, because we have to remember, well, what is the aim? Why are we doing this? We're doing this basically to uh, off, offset or do some good from the impact that we're having. So you can't, you can do a lot with the size and what you build your house out of and how much energy it uses and embodied energy. You can do a lot there. But the reality is that everything you build, you're using resources and it is having an impact. So by indirectly or contributing to something that's doing a great job in that area that is uh, sequestering carbon, keeping biodiversity intact, that is also really helping uh, help our carbon issue, you know that that is uh, doing the rest. So the way it ha- works is we have have based on the size of the home. This is the um, this is roughly the uh, amount of carbon that um, that has admitted to be built. Um, we have a calculation of uh, how many hectares that is in uh, biodiversity intact, and then with, through working with the TLC, we've worked out that in a monetary value. So. Basically, we work out how many square hectares of biodiversity you're going to pay to for them to protect and manage um, as an indirect carbon offset. Right? Um, I've chosen to do that out of business profits. So yes, the client is paying for it. Everyone that we work with is contributing to that, which hopefully they understand. And I really feel really good about if they come and work with us. Um, so it comes out of a um, Uh, business profits, which I feel really good about. Um, And so it's worked out, you know, with conversation with TLC and we make a, um, each month, we look at the projects that have been completed and then we make our monthly um, contribution to them. Yeah. So that's how that works.
0: It's fantastic. I think that it's such a great way for people to start thinking about the difference that they can make, accepting that, you know, there's only so much that you're going to be able to do with the contribution that your home's making, but it's still going to make an impact. What 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 can you do elsewhere to to really um, improve, and 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 contribute? I think it's um, and I love that your whole. I love that you walk your talk. That's what I think is so um, admirable about the way that it's very easy for people to stand on a soapbox and tell others what they think they should be doing from a sustainability point of view and from, you know, this ethos of enoughness that you're talking about and taking your fair share, but designful, you and your team are really um, walking the talk. And I, I just can't thank you enough for how much you've shared so generously in the podcast episode. It's been really lovely to meet and speak with you and into, um, to bring you to the Undercover Architect community. And uh, it's just been, yeah, you you've shared so much wisdom Jane so I really appreciate your time thank you so much
1: oh that's fine thank you really great um compliments there um yeah look no one's perfect but you know we're just trying to trying to make things good better and um yeah it also makes us feel good makes me feel healthy and happy as well (laughs) so it's really good to talk to you today thanks
0: that's it for part two and the end of my conversation with Jane. I do hope you found it and the previous episode, part one, helpful. I hope that you you found what Jane shared really helpful. I actually hope that it's provided you with a lot of food for thought and perhaps some really great ideas as well. I think Jane's got an incredible way of of. Of looking at the way that we can design our homes and create our lives and uh, I I really do believe that Designful are, are walking their talk about this. You know some of this such as for example thinking about what your fair share actually is that may feel a little bit uncomfortable to consider but I do hope that this conversation has opened a door to think about your future home and yourself and your family perhaps in a new way that might be useful for you in creating a home that truly suits you and is ultimately aligned with your values. I want to finish with that amazing quote from Jane, which uh, I actually teared up when, when I heard it. I don't think she could see that on Zoom but I teared up when I heard it and I went back over and and wanted to actually put it in here as the way to close this conversation because I think that this is worth pinning up somewhere. I think that having this as your kind of anchor is is an amazing way to keep on track in your project. And she talked about it as she was talking about mentally visualizing and rehearsing how homeowners might live in their future home and how she then goes about designing spaces and places to suit them. And she said this, Homes and buildings are meaningless without the moments and memories that are made in them. So if you consider them as a vessel for living moments and memories, then you don't actually have to try too hard. Moments and memories. What are the moments and memories that you're wanting to create in your future home? That alone can be an amazing way to start your design journey. I'm getting all emotional thinking about it. Now, Remember, if you want to download a free PDF transcript of this episode, print it out, save it for later, look back over and review it. You can do that by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 238 You'll also find links there to learn more about Jane and her brilliant team at Designful. If you've enjoyed this episode, please reach out to Jane and let her know. Um, You can see some of the amazing work that they do, the projects uh, that they share. You can also check out on their website, um, uh, they've got lots of case studies of their projects and then you can also find out more information about their Homeful range, Uh, their Homeful by Designful, which is their pre-designed floor plans that Jane spoke about in this episode. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye.